Welcome to Affirming Our Lane, a podcast by the American Foundation for Firearm Injury Reduction in Medicine. Affirm is the nation's leading nonpartisan network of more than 40,000 healthcare professionals who are committed to reducing firearm injury through research, evidence-based practice, and community partnerships. All right, so how did you become involved in the issue of gun violence? I became involved at an unfortunately early age. And um, that was as a 10 year old child in Dallas, which is my hometown uh, in November of 1963, I really, along with millions of other people first experienced the horrors of gun violence when um, President Kennedy uh, was assassinated. Uh, and that day and the events that, that uh, surrounded that day really have been, I would say, burned on my psyche and, and those, again, those of millions of others ever since that day. So that was an unfortunate early uh, experience with really the horrors of, of gun violence. I can't even imagine that. How did you get involved in a firm in particular? Well, I became involved in a firm through my association with the American College of Physicians, which is the internal medicine uh, specialty society, uh, and specifically my role with the American College of Physicians at that time was chair of the our health and public policy committee, and as such, um, was I was responsible along with the committee and our staff writing policy papers. On various topics, and the ACP has had a long, really twenty-year-plus history of uh, being in the forefront of um, tr- efforts to prevent and reduce um, gun violence. And um, so, really, as a result of a, a, a paper that we wrote in October of last year, when published in our Annals of Internal Medicine, um, I think that helped um, bring our work to the attention of a firm. And I think that's where our, our partnership really started. That's so interesting. Why do you personally think that this organization is needed? It is absolutely needed because there's so much, because for one reason, this is, this is an emotional issue for lots and lots of people. Um, there's, there's emotions, strong emotions on many, many different sides of this discussion. Um, and so it's very important that we find ways to, to really learn more, um, facts about how we can prevent, reduce, uh, gun violence and death, gun injuries and death. And as physicians, um, whether we're internists or we're emergency physicians, surgeons, pediatricians, it really doesn't matter. Physicians respond very positively to data into into yeah, strong well well research and well presented data and for many reasons um, we ha- we do not have nearly enough data or information uh, about how we can really get our, our arms around this um, this huge problem in our country and so the the role that a firm has is unique and it is very much needed and that is to really to bring forward um, and make available high value, uh, high-quality research on reducing firearms injury and death in this country. 
So adding on to that, what do you think a firm can do to change the political climate surrounding gun violence in this country? Yeah, again, I think um, what we really need to have is facts. I think we all can we can all tell stories, um, and stories are important. And um, stories, uh, as you probably saw during the "This is our hashtag," this is our lane uh, uh, um, experience, I guess, on on Twitter um, several months ago, and it still continues. Um, the presenting individual cases, uh, stories of people um, who've been, who they or themselves, them, they or their families have been affected by um, firearms violence. Um, that is very powerful, but we also need, we need to go further than that. And, and uh, what we need to do is we need to understand what policies and, and regulations really can make a positive impact on reducing this terrible, terrible um, epidemic that exists in our country. Can you give me an example of a research question that would be helpful for doctors to have um, have find answers to? Oh, there are so many. I'll give you I'll give you a few though. Um, I think it's very well recognized that um, probably two thirds of uh, gun related deaths are suicides, uh, and that is an area that we really need to get a much better handle on. We know uh, there's evidence emerging that teenagers are particularly susceptible to this um, way of uh, harming themselves and, and, and killing themselves. And we really need to understand how what we can do to help prevent that. For, and one of the examples is there's, there's some data, but it's, it's relatively preliminary, I would say, that um, imposing waiting periods to purchase uh, guns may reduce the incidence of suicide by firearm. And we need to know if that really, if that's a strong connection or not. And so um, suicide really has to, ways to prevent suicide has to really be at the top of the list. Um, we, there are a lot of different educational programs out there. There are educational programs to, to teach young people in particular how to use firearms, safe hunting, et cetera. Do these educational programs work? Do they make people safer? Um, we also, there's a lot of activity nationwide with, with laws. Um, a number of states have implemented laws. Connecticut, for example, has, has implemented some fairly strict laws. And it looks preliminarily like they have um, been able to reduce the, the, the death rate from homicide. Whereas Missouri uh, put in similar legislation and their, their homicide rate appears to have gone up. So we really need to understand going forward, how, how gun laws in various states impact um, their experience with gun violence and death. And, um, and another example that I'm particularly interested in is what the, the social determinants of health. There's a whole lot of talk, a whole lot of interest appropriately <clears throat> the last few years in what are called the social determinants of health, the factors in which people are born, which they live and they work. So your, your environment. So, so is housing, uh, is, is, is lack of adequate housing or is homelessness a risk factor for, for gun violence? Is food insecurity, employment insecurity, transportation insecurity, what are the th what are the factors that interplay 
um, in our communities across this country to make um, individuals and communities more prone to uh, firearm violence and, and injury. And so I think those really those factors need to really be understood um, individually and as a whole. So there's there's no shortage. There are no shortage of topics uh, that we really need answers to. Do you have any personal stories, either um, that from your experience or from a patient's experience, that you'd be able to share about why this topic really matters? I do. Um, as an internal medicine specialist, um, I did, was not as likely to encounter um, people who had been victims of uh, firearms violence as much as, say, my surgeon colleagues or my emergency medicine colleagues in particular. However, um, fairly early in my career in internal medicine, I took helped take care of a young man. Uh, he was about 16 at the time. He was depressed, uh, and he had easy, uh, access, ready access to a, to a, a, a firearm, and he uh, attempted suicide. Uh, and fortunately, he, it was not a, a completed suicide. However, he suffered uh, tremendous disfigurement of his face, uh, was unable to eat or drink and would not, um, psychologically could not present himself in public. And this young man was 16 years old. So think about not only the psychological trauma, but the cost to him, uh, of, of a life really dependent on medical care, uh, because he had, because he was depressed, which was not recognized and, because he had easy access to a firearm. So those things in combination um, are, are devastating. And so, so even though I have not had the uh, taking care of the number of patients that, say, uh, emergency physicians or surgeons have, um, no one in medicine, whether you're a physician or a nurse or a technician, no one can really, no one is immune from the dealing with the, the, the horrors, really, on an individual basis um, of these these people and the the terrible injuries that they have, and so many of them can be lifelong and can mean really a life of of um, chronic infection and disability. And um, so it's a, if you take care of one person that's had a, a a gunshot injury, it will it will be with you forever, unfortunately. Um, for my last question, I wanted to end on a bit of a happier note. In your Twitter bio, you describe yourself as an optimist. Tell me what makes you optimistic about how we can change gun violence in America when it's easy to think that the problem is way too far gone. That's a great question, and I'm I'm, I'm really glad you asked it. And I think that there are, again, there are numerous examples in this country in particular. I'm old enough to remember the days when um, we did not have, when automobiles did not have seatbelts and they were not really, cars were not really crash resistant in the ways that they are now. And so again, in my lifetime, the the cultural norm is now that people will wear seatbelts and thus the rate of serious injury and death from, from car accidents has, has really decreased dramatically. So that can be, and, and again, that was based on data. That was based on ev evidence. Um, two more, uh, one is uh, cigarette smoking. And again, um, in, in my youth, um, cigarette smoking was fairly the norm. And um, 
wasn't particularly looked down upon. And then Surgeon General came out with his report, which really, I think, got a lot of people's attention that said, yes, in fact, smoking causes can cause a lot of disease, including cancer. And so a combination of public policy and public sentiment um, have changed the, the norm and, and not smoking is now the cultural norm. And so Again, I, I, I've had the, the fortune and the good benefit in my lifetime of seeing those things. And the last one I will, it may, uh, that I will mention is um, HIV. So when I was a, a medical student and resident in the early 1990s, HIV infection was a death sentence. Um, we did not have really a very good understanding of the biology of the virus. We certainly didn't know, have effective treatments. And in, what, 25 years. We understand the, the virus very well on a molecular level, epidemiologic level, how it's transmitted. And we have effective treatment. Um, and now HIV, instead of being a chronic, instead of being an, a, a death sentence, essentially can be, can be managed as a chronic illness. We actually have ways to prevent the transmission of it that are effective. So, so again, those kinds of examples do give me hope that even though this is a, a, a fraught issue, there's a whole, whole lot of emotion, as I said initially, a lot of emotion on, on, on a number of different sides of this. I do believe, I have faith in American people to, to when, when presented with facts and with data, that we can make the right decision. So that's really why I'm optimistic. All right. Well, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you. I appreciate it.